This is the podcast that finds the most elusive people, the everyday amazing kind that you know nothing about. I'm hunting these people down and exposing their beauty to the world. I'm Andrew Bracewell, and this is Everyday Amazing. I don't want to give them the, what's left of me. I want to give them the best of me. I am both nervous and excited, maybe even more nervous than excited because of the uh, individual who's sitting across from me today. Kurt Dirksen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, pal. It is absolutely my pleasure. I'll, uh, I'll start with a, I like to start things with confession sometimes. And so uh, the reason that I'm nervous is because you and I actually do this all the time. And the only difference is, is today we're doing it with microphones in front of our faces. Yep. True that, and a whole bunch of people that might hear it, and a whole bunch of people that might hear it. <laughs> you have and to so, edit it a little bit, and so no, no, there won't be any editing. We're only doing we're only doing it in the raw. But what I have to uh, say and admit, and this is part of the reason why I'm so excited and and yet nervous at the same time, is that there's been a number of times in the last couple of years that you and I have spent late nights together uh, out on the patio or the porch or in the backyard, and I drive home from that experience or I walk inside my house. And I say to myself, that has to be one of the best conversations in the history of mankind. Somebody needs to be recording this. That was amazing. That was life-giving. And it, oh, good. it was incredible. So, um, Well, the feeling is mutual. You're making me blush a little bit. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you blush. So, so this morning as I was getting ready, uh, the nervous thoughts that came into my mind were, Andrew, don't screw this up. Just you know, be natural, let it flow, do what you do, and you guys are going to have a great time. So I am truly excited to, uh, to have you sitting across from me. And in keeping with our tradition that we tend to have, whether it be through intent or not, we are sipping bourbon while we, while we talk to one another. And it should be noted for the audience that it's roughly 1030 in the morning. Won't say where we are, or, you know, where that is, but we're not driving. We're actually in my living room and we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to do bourbon together because that's what we do. Brings out the best. And the conversation seems to flow. I have a question for you actually on that, on that topic. Go ahead. Do you think, so neither of you, neither you or I is educated enough to probably intelligently answer this question, but let's try to do it together anyway. What do you think alcohol does to you in conversation? What does it do in your brain? Does it open you up? Does it shut you down? Speak to that a little bit. Cause you and I have, have, have had lots of alcohol infused conversations. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So I think about it often actually, because it does. Depends on a few things for me, circumstances of my day, my own body chemistry, food that's on board, kind of where I'm at emotionally. But often what it will do is it'll help me come grounded and present in the moment. And then I can just be real. Some of my inhibitions or concerns of just being vulnerable kind of subside. And then I can just be fully engaged in the moment. And it opens up some amazing opportunities for like we've had some really cool conversations that you just feel like you're connecting with somebody. Mm. So again, it's funny that we're having this conversation because we're probably not fit to have the conversation properly because we don't actually know what's going on in the body chemistry. Maybe we do a bit, but do you think that it takes us out of a uh, current state of reality and allows us to get into a different space that therefore then opens up conversations that we otherwise wouldn't be able to have? Or how do you think that works? I think it's for me anyways, it's more just about some of the, the barriers coming down, like my own inhibition as far as like, oh, maybe I won't say that right now because he's maybe he'll think something weird of me or whatever. And that mm-hmm. is just kind of gone. And then you just Mm-hmm. Kind of get into a flow almost. You just mm-hmm. let it be. Mm-hmm. Some people can probably do it easier without alcohol, and I can definitely do it without alcohol as well. But I just find that regardless of what my circumstances are during that day, it will help to just be present. 
Yeah, and it co- it goes without saying that this certainly isn't an endorsement of that. You, of course, you need alcohol in order to have real authentic conversation. Well, I it, mean, usually before nine, I'm on to my second. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit delayed today. <laughs> yeah, no, it just so happens that you know you and I have spent a lot of time together, but we we have this great history of incredible conversations late at night while while sipping on bourbon. So, in keeping with our tradition, we're doing that this morning, and uh, you know, here's here's to us doing it one more time. <laughs> Cheers. Um. So, hey, I want to introduce you a bit uh, to the audience, and I want to give you the platform, and I want to let you, um, you know, tell us who you are, where you came from, and a bit of your story. So, um, I want to give you the platform. I'll, I'll say that, you know, you're a guy who's married with three kids, and, you know, you live in Abbotsford, and you sell real estate, but maybe um, I'll let you go from there, take it over, and, and away you go. Okay. Not originally from Abbotsford. I grew up in Kelowna, just outside of Kelowna, and I was the oldest of three kids. Never thought that I would be anything to do with sales. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I volunteered in Cairo, Egypt for a year and I went to school in Alberta and went to school in Abbotsford. And again, real estate was never on my radar. I had some experiences, met some people, read some books when I was in university at the University of the Fraser Valley that started just giving me a paradigm shift, challenging the way I thought, and opening up my mind to different possibilities and creating different perceptions really. And so that led me to real estate and I got to the place where I feel like it's actually a really good fit for me. And so it just, I've grown a lot as a human and a lot of really great things have come as a result. I've had good opportunities to connect with and serve people and, and create a cool life for my family. Mm. And your, your family, just to catch everybody up, you're married for how many years? So my wife's Michelle. We've been married since 2008. So 11 years at this point, 11 and a half years. We have three children. Owen is eight. Thailand is six and Nora is four. So we are in the full on chaos of all that is young families and loving it. We actually actually feel like we're kind of emerging out of like treading water, but mostly being underwater and coming to a place where I feel like I spend more time with my head above water than below, which Mm. is a refreshing feeling. And I think Michelle would say the same thing. I know she would. Oh, there'll be parents out there listening to this, nodding their head. Uh I understand what you're talking about. I know what he means. Once you're a parent, you, you, you get it. You don't really know what chaos is until, I mean, everybody has different levels or different kinds of chaos, but as a parent, the chaos that you deal with, it's intense. Yeah. I want to circle back to your, uh, you alluded, you alluded to your university experience Hmm. and how your, you said your mind started to shift or you, you know, you started to think in different ways. What were you, what were you studying yeah. in university? And then what kind of experiences did you have that started to, you know, shift the way you were envisioning yeah. the future of your life? I'd probably back it up even a little bit further before that, because I went to school and I went to three different schools, three different post-secondary education institutions, one in Kelowna, one in Calgary, and then one in Abbotsford. And when I went in Kelowna, I was playing on the men's soccer team there. And my experience was mostly just about playing soccer. When I went in Calgary to that school, I was playing basketball. And my experience was mostly based around basketball. So what I was actually getting out of my studies was only what I needed to in order to keep there, to to stay there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't enjoy it. The studies that I was taking wasn't really for me. It was more typical, like what you would do in high school. You just kind of jump through the hoops. After both of those experiences, that's when I went to Egypt. And I just, I went on a trip. Michelle, my wife, is from there. Yeah, so this this was a... Female, female inspired decision yeah, to go to Egypt. Exactly. Right? <laughs> she she lived there for twelve years, and so it was <laughs> noble an oppor- noble reasons. It's totally well. Yeah, <laughs> get in with the family, show that I'm actually good shit, and then we can see where it goes from there. So, anyways, we go to we go to Egypt, and I fell in love with it. We were just on a tourist trip at that point. We were there for three weeks, and 
uh, fell in love with the opportunity and actually the opportunity that I saw to basically connect with and serve some Sudanese refugee kids. And so when I came back from Egypt, I actually dropped out of school. I was supposed to be going for my second semester, but it was okay because the first semester was when we had soccer and the second semester soccer season wasn't going on. So I could drop out. It was totally cool. Mm. I actually went back to the rigs at that point, uh, Julian rigs in Northern Alberta and paid off some debt, saved some money and then went to Egypt. And so when I came back to Canada. So I was in Egypt for a year. When I came back to Canada after that, I went right into Michelle and I got married and then I went right into university at Fraser Valley and started studying kinesiology. And so kinesiology is the study of the human body and the human body in motion. And I always played sports and was active and trained and was pretty fit. And so getting into kinesiology at UFE was a different, like not only was I now older and mature and I was there because I was engaged in the studies and I kind of had a bit of an end goal. I knew where I wanted to be. Uh, but this, this, what I was actually studying was actually fascinating to me because it was application. It was stuff that I already, at some core level, understood and knew. Mm-hmm. And so the, the studies, when I got to that position, being a little bit older, having some life experience, studying something that I actually enjoyed, I started thinking differently. I just started maybe even actually just thinking rather than going through the motions in life. And so got to the end of my university studies, and rather than pursue kinesiology, I actually, my last, my last, one of my last second or third last semester, I started reading some books about uh, investing in real estate. One of the mm. fundamental books for me was the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's really basic. Michelle and I actually bought that book. We were driving to Edmonton for, uh, we we're going to a family wedding or something out in Edmonton. We bought the book before we left. We read it to each other. At that point, I'm a student at UFE. We're renting a condo and Michelle's a nurse. She's in her first year of practicing as a nurse working at the Abbotsford Hospital. We buy this book. We're driving a 2006 black Honda Civic, which was our first car that we got together. We're driving to Alberta, reading this book, taking turns back and forth, reading it to each other. By the time we got home back to Abbotsford, we decided that we were going to buy a house. And it was never really on our radar or something that we talked about before, but there were some very simple principles that we were like, we're going to apply this. Our agent at the time was James Armstrong and poor guy. We just, we were new to this whole world and didn't have any like guidance really. So we're just like, thought it was the best thing to go and see every possible listing that there was. So we probably actually have a folder with all of this, the pieces of paper that Jim printed for us. We saw like 40 homes. You were the client from hell. Right. Exactly. We totally, he was just a happy go lucky, loved to just super social, loved to be with us and tell stories. And so we just saw everything that we could see. Anyways, so we go from living in a condo that we're renting to buying a house within like six months. We buy this house. I'm in university still full-time. Michelle's working. At this point, I'm working at Great West Fitness, a gym in town. I'm a personal trainer and, or I'm studying to be a personal trainer on top of the other things that come along with kinesiology. And so I'm working at the gym, studying, and we bought this house and I started renovating the basement. So we bought it without a suite, renovated the basement, put a suite in it, a legal suite, Mm. And then we lived in the basement and rented out the upstairs for the first two years. And so this was kind of like our, pro, our, at this point, I wasn't planning on being a realtor. I just had the idea from Robert that, yeah. that if we use what we have, then we can actually make it work for us rather than paying somebody else's rent. And that's yeah, kind of were, where it all started. You were putting into action what you had read and you were, you were, you were living it out. Exactly. And by the time we actually got to living in that basement suite, we were, li- we were living for less money. We were paying less money to live in our own house than we would have been paying rent at this other condo. And it was our own house. It was our own basement. So I, I want to circle back to something. Um, I don't want to miss over something, miss out on something that, that could be good here. 
And I don't even know, I can't remember the exact dates. I know you and I have discussed this before, but when you were in Egypt, Mm -hmm. you were involved in a fairly significant accident. Mm -hmm. Was that, is that pre-marriage or when, when was that? that Yeah. So that was March of 2006, sorry, March of 2008. And so Egypt was quite significant for me. Like not only was I in a situation that I would have never imagined before on several occasions. I, I went to Egypt playing before Egypt. I'd always played sports, mm-hmm. never got hurt, never broke a bone, never been in an accident, never had anything bad happen. Mm-hmm. First semester I'm playing basketball against one of the students that I was working with, one of the refugees. And he went, he was a monster. He was like six foot nine. Like he was a full grown <laughs> human. Like <laughs> there's a whole side story here. They often will, when they, when they come into like, so they, a lot of the Sudanese living in, in Cairo have refugee status, but they're not like in a refugee camp. They're just like in the shit mix with yeah. Egyptians. Yeah. And so there's a lot of differences between a Sudanese and, a, and an Egyptian, like very, very different. Sure. And the Sudanese are not overly accepted in a large, a large part. Like they come and they don't have income potential. They can't work. They speak different languages. They're not overly accepted. So there's like this massive problem mm. of the Egyptians not, loving the Sudanese and I'm generalizing a little bit, but as a general rule, like the general person on the street is not overly excited that the Sudanese are there because they're just an extra burden. Like we would be here. Like it's just an extra burden on our society. Right. Totally. It's not to the fault of the Sudanese. It's just the reality. Anyways. So I'm playing basketball against this massive guy who says he's 17, but he's probably 35. He's probably older than (laughs) I am. He's just a monster. I drive the hole and I do a layup and I came to the end of the concrete, like end of the, we were playing on a concrete court and at the end there's a little drop off and I rolled my ankle and broke my foot and I'd never broken anything before. And so I, I walked, we, we walked everywhere. I was like a volunteer at the time. So I have $0 to my name. You could take a taxi everywhere you go and it doesn't cost very much, but I don't even have enough money to do that. I'm just a volunteer. So I walked everywhere. So I walked for like three days around Madi. That's the part of Cairo where we were on a broken foot before I went to the doctor and got x-rays and sure enough got casted. So the first semester I was in a cast for like 10 weeks, came home at Christmas, proposed, went back to Egypt and then (laughs) just fitting all the things in. Totally all the things. So we proposed at Christmas. We're getting married that summer, July and I'll go back. And then at spring break, Michelle came over to visit to hang out with, with me there for a couple of weeks. And I got into a car accident. I was on a bicycle the first semester I walked, then when I had a broken foot, it was hard to walk. So I got a bike and I was riding around. Well, traffic in Cairo is Megnoon. That's like Arabic for crazy. Like it is mental. It's probably mm. one of the least safe places in the world to drive. At, at one point, I remember hearing that there was something like 90 related traffic deaths per day in the city of Cairo. Like wow. it's stupid. Like it's just absolutely... Wow. Traffic laws don't apply. They aren't. There aren't any. And so I had this brilliant idea that I was going to ride a bike. I wasn't wearing a helmet. And I went to a soccer practice that I was coaching with a bunch of the Sudanese kids. And I'm riding back. And it's kind of like dusk getting to the end of the day. And it's the end of the week. So Fridays are the beginning of their weekend. So it's like a Thursday night at dusk. Everybody's getting out of town to go home or whatever. I'm trying to ride across traffic. And I get to this medan, like a roundabout. And it's, it should be like probably three lanes of traffic all the way around the Medan. But this was, there's probably five. And so it's super busy. There's one traffic cop kind of directing, making sure that there is a flow, mm. but it's just chaos. And so in the chaos, if you want to like get anywhere, you have to be aggressive. So whether you're walking or riding a bike or driving, if you don't go, then you'll stand forever. Yeah, and you're, wait. Not, you're not going if you That's don't right. go. You go or you don't, or you stay. And so I decided to 
I made a quick second. I like, approached the the Medan and I made a quick decision that I was going to give her. I was going to get across this Medan. And I got past the thir- first three vehicles. And what I didn't see was that there was another vehicle on the inside that was cutting really tight, coming quick. And so I got past the first three, got to the fourth. And I didn't see him. And oh, shit. And right there, <laughs> he, his, I remember, and I actually had nightmares about it for a while. But I remember the, the hood of his car hitting me on my left leg. And I always thought, being athletic, that if I got into that situation, you're like, I would Spider-Man the shit out of that situation. I would totally like come out like... Because movies are real. I know, right? Movies I would, are completely I would real. be like a cat. I would land yeah. on my feet, no issues. That's not what happened. I um, cranked on front and rear brakes, went up on the front uh, wheel. The front wheel actually like mangled completely just from the, my weight and the impact of the car. And the bike went underneath the car and I went over the handlebars and landed on the pavement, luckily just past his car uh, and close enough to the center of the Medan where there was no other vehicles coming. I landed on my face, first on my chin, then on my nose, broke off three of my teeth, destroyed my nose, big cuts all over my chin. And it was a, it was a bloody mess. I blacked out for a second, came through, came to, got up, grabbed my bike from underneath the car and went and sat down on the curb. And my whole face was just on fire and blood was just gushing. And I looked up and I remember seeing the traffic cop being in front of the car. Traffic stopped and a couple people came over to see if I was okay. And by the time I looked up again, traffic was flowing and that car was gone. He probably paid off the guard and was done. Mm. That was the end of it. Wow. So I had, I had an equally traumatic accident in my life. I've heard your story. It might be more traumatic. Yeah. Well, I'm just different. Just different. Different. And something I experienced was uh, I had like significant nightmares mm-hmm. for, I want to say, intense at first for the first year, yep. where on a weekly basis, multiple times, I was waking up in sweats, reliving what happened. Yep. And then, um, you know, doing my level best to control it with drugs in a healthy and an unhealthy way. And then, uh, you know, it dissipated over time, but it probably took years to completely, you know, leave my memory as I was trying to sleep. Yep. Is that, did you have anything like that? Yeah, probably. I, I never had, I was never medicated. Um, I even being in Cairo, having any of those procedures done, there really wasn't a lot of medication that was given. They were very afraid, uh, being an Islamic country, they were very afraid of uh, drug dependency. So mm. it was more tough it out and, and deal with it. And so being that all of my primary care was there, I was in the hospital there for a few days. I had a couple surgeries there. All my teeth, tooth, my work to my teeth was done there. Um, there. There was no medication. But I do remember for a significant period of time, having waking up and having sweats mm. being afraid i was afraid the first time i got back onto a bike uh there was a lot that kind of came with it mm. but one of the best parts that came from that whole experience and there's this one moment this one maybe evening more than a moment is captured in my brain better than most of my time in cairo so my wife's mom my mother-in-law brenda was living in cairo at the time and so after this accident happened i actually moved into her place and she kind of was taking care of me mm. And one night, about maybe a week or even maybe even less than a week after the event, uh, the Sudanese kids that I was working with actually came to the apartment where I was staying to to see me and take care of me and just just to basically love on me. Like, and, and that was one of like the most humbling and amazing experiences that I've had because here am I, this like blonde haired, blue eyed Canadian guy who's going over there to like serve the needy. That was kind of like mm-hmm. my programming, and they came to like take care of me. They came to love on me. And so there was like 30 of them that piled into this little apartment, like these 
monstrous kids that are like six to six foot five and wow. ranging in age from probably 25 all the way down to 12. And they just, they piled in the elevator. They came up the stairs. We were on the 10th floor and they just like came and just sat with me for like hours. And it was the connection that I had with them afterwards was amazing. Mm. And it was like, they, for the first time we connected on a different level. So really cool. So let's jump back to university now. Mm. Kinesiology. Yep. You've had an experience of smashing your body to pieces in an accident. You're learning about the body. You've, yep. you've told me many times you're fascinated with, with the body and how it functions. What fascinates you? Why kinesiology? I'm fascinated about how, how much we can accomplish or what we can actually physically do and how training and preparation can actually expand your capacity. And so these traumatic experiences that I had, breaking my foot or smashing my face or you know any of the events playing sports, those kinds of things, you become aware of kind of like where your ceiling is and then learn that you can actually push past that, how some of those traumatic experiences can actually make you better. And then the other part is like the accident was traumatic, but there is a whole like emotional, psychological component to it that made me better. I'm better because of the pain that I went through. Mm. And so that's, that's really intriguing. That fascinates me that we can actually learn from these experiences and you can apply that. I think you can apply the same principles of that kind of like growth. And if you apply those same principles to anything that you do, you actually have an opportunity to become better at, you know, any avenue business, for instance, like I've been in this business now. I've been in real estate since 2012 and I haven't done anything different than I've done in every other part of my life. Like I learn, you're intentional, you grow, you surround yourself by the right people that are doing what you want to do. You borrow from them until you can kind of make your own way and then implement and change and start to recognize kind of your own authentic voice and and pay attention to that. At least that's been my journey. I feel like I've borrowed from others until I get to a place where I could be comfortable in my own skin and then kind of go on my own from there. So were you born with the Greek God body that you have, or did you have to build it? Built it. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that that's entirely true. I think that what, that you're a Greek God or that you had, well, to build of course, it? Greek God is true, but I, you realize <laughs> that I'm, that I'm asking this question, not for myself, but for the masses that are listening yeah. that, that want to know, was, is that a gift from God or did Kurt build yeah. that? And how do I get it? Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely work hard at my body and I have my whole life and I've always been active and I've been careful of what I eat and what my nutrition looks like. And not to say that I don't have ice cream or, you know, my treats of choice, those things happen. It's just a moderation. And then the majority of time I'm intentional about it, but there is definitely a genetic component. Like my dad, I trained with my dad when I was 12 years old in our basement. Like my dad was, he modeled something for me as far as being active and taking care of his body. Mm. And so that is something that is, you know, from a very young age, I was playing sports, I was training and maybe my diet wasn't the best when I was a kid because you're, I was a kid, but I still, I, you know, at some level there was a genetic component where my dad's activity kind of was imprinted upon me, what he also modeled. So well, that is, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I mean, I admire a number of things about you, but one of the things that I admire about you and have been challenged on is your, the habits that you have in your life and the disciplines that you have in place. Speaking about, you know, specifically the body, you know, yeah. what you put in, what you consume, how you train. I've trained with you before and training with you is not to be taken lightly. Mm. It's, uh, it's impressive. And, and I would, you know, I don't know, I never knew you when you were five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, but, but I've known you recently and i know that you know you you work your ass off for what you have you can and, look, you and can look the world son. the world thanks you for it <laughs> yeah. because you know we get to take you in and it's, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to take in 
<laughs> I was going to say, you could look at my son because my son, I think, is a pretty much like an identical. He looks a lot like me, but just the way he trains for basketball, he's into basketball right now. And the way he trains for basketball, his focus and commitment to it is would have been the same for me. And I remember my mom telling stories about me sleeping with my soccer ball. Like I didn't have a stuffy, like I slept with my soccer ball. Like that was what I did. That was my thing. And I think that kind of mentality is, that's just who I am. And that's who my son is. So. So a question that people would probably have is where do you fit on the, on the spectrum of the, and it's a large spectrum, the, the physical fitness, the, the diet, the food intake, do you align with a particular philosophy or has that shifted for you significantly over time? Or what does that look like? I think it's constantly evolving as I try things out and as technology or science advances and we understand more, but as I trial things for myself, I like to just try different things for a while. I get bored. So I going to switch back and forth from different things. I'm just starting some yoga. I was saying that before off cast here and mm. I'm enjoying that. There's a whole element of like mindfulness, being aware of my body and exposing the exposing some of my own kind of internal weaknesses that I'm going to find with yoga. Mm. I, I love hiking. So there's a whole outdoors element connecting with nature that kind of comes for me from that. CrossFit something that I is a kind of style that I would train for high intensity interval training, like condensing a lot of work into a short period of time. Mm. Really, it's just, it's a lifestyle thing for me, like trying to be active every day. And and the reason that I do it is that I know what I feel like when, I, when I'm not. And I know how I perform with my family, how I perform for work, how I feel about myself. All of those things come when I'm disciplined, when I'm on track and I'm eating well and I'm resting well and I'm training frequently, mm-hmm. I can do better at life and I want to do well. So. so your physical routine has evolved quite drastically over time. What have you done uh, with the food element and the calories you're consuming? Has that uh, also drastically changed or what does that look like for you? I think it's, it's definitely changed. I don't know how drastic. Like my parents, parents didn't feed me shit growing up. Like we had pretty holistic, reasonably well-balanced meals. As a young 20-something. You I weren't raised this. on Fruit Loops and... Oh, there was Kit fruit, Kat but it wasn't every day. But we also didn't have the money to have fruit. So that's an expensive cereal. So we like yeah. that wasn't something that was that was an extra. You know, I would go to my friends' houses that had more money so that we could have those things. You know, we were maybe Rice Krispies or something. So it's still cereal. But I had two of those friends. They were strategic partnerships. Yes, yeah, right. That's it was right. very important for the enjoyment of elementary school. <laughs> totally, totally. Planning times to go and visit, have sleepovers. <laughs> yeah, I, totally. I have a few too, and I I frequently went to their place significantly more times than they came to mine, and that was orchestrated by this guy that's intelligence that's right what that is right it's adapting exactly next stage of evolution so being married to michelle though michelle has been instrumental for sure in having a healthier more balanced food like i never have to think about going to the grocery store like sometimes i'll go and help her out but for the most part like she plans meals there's always our fruit fridges we're very lucky our fridge is always full there's always good choices healthy options and so a big part of it is just not having the shit options available. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that when it is in the house, I still consume it. Um, but having as little of that around as possible. Mm-hmm. And I find there's a, and this is probably common for a lot of people, but for me especially, like there's a very big correlation when I'm active and I'm disciplined, you know, conscious about like doing the activities, having the exercise, mm-hmm. hiking, walking, exercising, all those things. My diet, like I just 
I tend to want to be more intentional about my diet. I don't take in as much crap because it just, I want to make sure that I'm fueled properly, but I also feel good. And so when I feel good, then I want to keep that rolling. Totally. It's that chicken and egg thing, that, that vicious cycle that has no answer to it. But when you, when you're physically taking care of yourself, you're more inclined to put the right things in. That's right. And then when you get into a space where you're not, yep. which it's important to have those, those spaces too, to, to take a break, yep. it's much easier to fall into a trap of, oh, I'll eat that bag of potato chips or I'll do that or I'll do that, which I think is also healthy to take time for. For sure. Um, but I, I can identify with that, with that completely. For me, the, the control part comes back when I, like I can control it better. If I was going to say, okay, I'm off the wagon. Okay, and I'm not exercising and I'm eating shit. And that maybe happens for, you know, periodically throughout a year, a couple of times where I have a week or two or three or a month when I'm just not engaged and not taking care of myself. I get back on back on track by exercise. And when I exercise intentionally, then I can the food component just comes naturally for me. Like it just it falls into line when I'm when I am working, when I am training. That's an interesting thought. I would wonder if a if a poll could be taken. I would bet that some people would be the exercise first to get back and yep. some people would be the food first yep. to get back. I think absolutely. And, and I actually wonder any- now that we're talking to, I think I'm a food first mm. person because when I eat shit yep. and feel like shit, there's like no fucking way yep. I'm going out and, you know, lifting weights or, or yep. whatever. So for me, I think it's the opposite. I mm. think, you know, if I get the right food in, then all yep. of a sudden I feel better. Mm. Confidence changes, not so foggy in the brain. Okay. Yep. I want to go lift or I want to yep. go run. Yeah. Interesting. I think anybody that has any kind of tendency towards a distortion on their food, it's it's a it's a difficult thing. And if you are in a call it a rut for an extended period of time and your view of food is distorted, then it's that much harder to actually turn it around. Mm-hmm. And those people would probably be similar to you. That and that's me. I had yep. my food journey in my life. You know what I was. Um, you know what I was handed in terms of food intelligence and habits as a child. And then, and then not to put the blame on, you know, how I was raised or my parents, but then even what I did for myself in my early adult formative years, mm-hmm. I mean, I developed incredibly terrible habits and bad belief systems around food. Yeah. And some of it was just ignorance, you know, lack of education. And so then when I made a change and didn't want to be a diabetic in my twenties, yeah. um, it was the food thing where the battle was won and lost. I always, I was an athlete as a child, you know, I played basketball, I played hockey. I love those things. But then when you feel like shit and you don't have energy, you actually can't even be athletic anymore. So for me, the battle is always won and lost in the kitchen. And then even to this day to get back on track for me, it's a food thing before it's a, it's it's a physical thing. Well, and that that probably makes sense compared to like for your, your family, how it was modeled for you Mm -hmm. and for me, how it was modeled with my dad. My dad was training. Like when, when my dad is five ten, and when I was young, he was like two forty. like just a beast, just a beast. And he would consume, like he'd sit down and have a dozen eggs. Like he just was constantly like intaking proteins and just intentional about lifting, benching over 300 pounds and squatting like ridiculous numbers and leg pressing a thousand pounds. Like that was, that was, that was what he did. Wow. And you had that modeled that was, for you. Exactly. And I took part in it. Like yeah. when I remember being 12, like we just sold our family home this last year. And I remember I have the, the one of the, some of the weight sets that we used when I was a kid and I would, my dad and I would train at, in the basement two, three times a week. Like that's mm. what we did together. So mm. that's obviously because that's ingrained in me. That's my default. And Michelle, my wife who lives in the same house as me would be food similar, more similar to you. Be food first exercise kind of falls in line when her food and nutrition is where it needs to be. Right. 
let's switch gears for a bit. Hmm. Uh, you've alluded to Michelle and your your kids and your family a number of times, and family's a big topic. But let's first dive into your immediate family, your wife and kids. Hmm. How has being a father, a husband and a father, and as that's evolved, how has that changed particular philosophies in your life about how you approach work or how you approach this last topic we've been talking about, you know, the, the major topics in life. If you were to look at your life in the last, say, eight, 10 years, what major evolutions have you come through in terms of the way you think and how you approach things? Before I got married, I would have told you that I am not selfish. Like I'm not a selfish human. Like I'm other focused, like I'm other-ish, right? Mm-hmm. And then I got married and living, cohabiting with someone, one human makes you realize that actually I was pretty selfish. And then I after a little while, I figured out like, you know, I, I can do this. I can be married. I'm not that selfish anymore. I've learned. I've grown. And then we had kids and it was like, that's a huge time suck. Like you love those little buggers, but like, it's a huge time suck. Mm-hmm. And I realized once again, how selfish I actually am. And so now three kids later and a wife later that, that, um, I felt guilty for a while about this selfishness that I had. And I, so a pendulum kind of swung far from feeling like I wasn't selfish to then feeling like I was really selfish. And that beating myself up, and that's a common theme for me in my own head is beating myself, being really hard on myself, mm. but feeling guilty about it, feeling guilty and shame even around this idea that I was selfish. And then now the pendulum's kind of swinging back probably more towards center. And I'm realizing that like, I can't, well, you've, everybody's heard this idea of you get on a plane and this flight attendant says, if we, you know, we lose pressure in the cabin, the masks fall down. Mm-hmm. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah, put yours on first. If you can't take care of yourself, yeah. you can't help someone else. And so the guilt and shame slid me into this pattern with young children and a wife that was dealing with postpartum depression and you know her own journey, her own process, her body being literally ripped apart and then trying to put it back together and not being able to do what she did before. All, all the psychological and emotional trauma that has, happens as a result of trying to raise these little humans. Mm-hmm being completely sleep deprived, we've kind of both now come to this place where it's like, well, if I don't take care of me, then I can't be the best version of me for my family. And if I can't be the best version of me for my family, then what am I setting them up for? Mm. Now we're into the meat of what I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about today. It takes here. a little while to get here, but we're here now. We've arrived. Mm-hmm. We worked into a lather. The How bourbon does it is feel? gone. Yeah, the bourbon's <laughs> gone. He needs more bourbon and he'll be good. So one of the things, if not the thing that I both admire about you the most, but also worry mm-hmm. about you the most is you are the most self-sacrificing human in my life that I'm aware of, which I love and admire about you. But then mm-hmm. when I observe you in life circumstances where others around you, whether it be family or not family, experience tragedy, you are throwing yourself in front of the bus, metaphorically speaking, for people. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. And one of the things that it does in me is when I've I've watched you either in that in your space as a father or a husband is I go, holy shit, I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Like I'm watching what Kurt's doing and that's unbelievable. And I just need to be, I got to be more like Kurt. Yeah. But there's two edges to that blade. Of course. And the other edge is that you're throwing yourself in front of that bus and you're getting run over and run over and run over. Yep. I want to hear you talk about that. Well, bit. you can only be run over so many times, right? <laughs> like you kind of fall down and get back up and learn a little bit from it. And so coming back to my accident, like I learned something from that event. Like I got knocked over and life is like that. It continues to knock us over. And so the, the pro is that I care about people and I do what I can in the 
people that I love know that I love them and I would do anything for them. Mm -hmm. But then there becomes a point where you also take on burdens beyond you take on, you start picking up people's burdens when they don't even want you to pick up their burdens. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not serving them the way I intend to serve them. Like I'm trying to just help, but it's actually not being received like that. It actually comes across as almost being like this arrogance, like you can't do it. Let me do it for you. And that's not my intention, but I kind of ran into this wall. And I think the business that I'm in is really great for that. It's helped me grow and become aware because my default and my mom is like this as well. My default is just to do everything for everybody, Mm -hmm. but then you burn yourself out. And so the business being coming into people's lives and seeing their circumstances and seeing that there is need and there's opportunity to help, but learning the line of what's actually appropriate and what's their responsibility and what you're actually, I have to constantly remind myself that doing something for someone else is actually robbing them often. It can rob them of the experience or some of the experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. And so in my brain, that's what I've had to do is actually like tell myself that I'm actually taking away from them. Even though I'm trying to help them, I'm actually taking away from them. And it's like a selfish thing really, because I'm learning to not pick up other people's rocks and put them in my backpack. Yeah. I'm learning that like it's their job to carry their rocks. And sometimes people's rocks or their backpack is so heavy that they need an extra hand. But learning that line of like what's appropriate and what's not for the sake of their growth and their own development and their own life, like it's their life, but also for mine, because it takes away from my ability to like get the most out of this life and be there for my, my kids, my wife. Okay, there's a lot here that I don't want to miss out on. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's two routes I want to go down and you, you touched on one of them that I want to circle back to. And that's the, how does this play out in your, in your business? Mm-hmm. You're in the personal service industry and you're, you're dealing with human needs sometimes that are incredibly selfish. So I w- yep. we'll go there in a sec, but yep. I want to go to family tragedy. You've experienced a few things and we don't have to get into all of them, um, but I've observed you in your immediate family uh, with, with one of your brothers and yep. your dad. Yep. Talk about either one of those circumstances, whichever yeah. one you want. Yeah. And in the context of this conversation and, and what you've had to wrestle with. Yeah. So maybe give us some background. I feel like family is like a different level for me. Mm. Like I, I'm, so in my business, I, I started off carrying everybody like they were my family. Mm. And I love everybody that I work with and that I get to help. But I also need to draw a line somewhere of who I actually can carry stuff for and who I can't. Mm-hmm. That line is easily muddied but on my family side we're going through my dad has been 61 and he's been diagnosed with dementia and it's been going on for probably a handful of years undiagnosed but we've been watching subtle changes and it's really freaking hard man like this is heavy like this is really heavy this is not something that you well this is what i train for actually mm. this is why i train i i train in life to be able to be in these kind of situations and be someone that helps and not be someone that's a burden. By taking care of my own shit, I can help these situations. And so my parents are going through bar none the hardest period of their lives. My dad's unfortunately less, his capacity and awareness is decreasing by the day. And there's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing that anybody can do. There's not a pill to take. There's not a lifestyle change. It's like the damage is done and we're just like on this train to this point. And so there is a lot that my mom carries. There's a lot that my dad has lost. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that I try and carry because my mom is, her bag is so full that she's like, she's treading water and having a hard time keeping her head above. And so I, I have been for the last couple of years, probably longer than that, but intentionally right now, 
And going forward, I'm going to be there with her in the water, helping her carry her pack. And I can do that only because I take care of myself, because I make sure that I sleep and I rest and I have time for me to do what I like. And I have time with my family where I can be engaged. And that gives me joy in life and exercise. Like those are the, if I don't have those things sorted out, then I, if my mask isn't on, then I can't help my mom. Yeah. And so I, I work on making sure that I have things put together in my life. And then obviously there's, that's just one area of my life. That's not, that's just one thing. Like there's still work and all the burdens that come with all these different people and their different situations Mm -hmm. and circumstances. But it, for me, it, fundamental piece comes back to taking care of myself. And so my journey this coming up this year into uh, understanding myself better so I can be a more authentic person of have a better understanding of myself, be more authentic in who I am, and then not have some of the extra stresses that come from trying to please other people or impress other people, take care of myself, be authentic, then I can serve and be there for the people that mean the most to me. So as you're in this maze mm. of dementia with no clear path yep. with your dad, what is the, and you're in it, you're not mm-hmm. through it. I mean, you're, you're living it yep. right now. What is the messaging that needs to be out there that you've had to dig and find on your own, mm-hmm. but what do people need to hear yeah. if they're in the space that you're in right now? Well, I think this is like all the things that I'm trying to practice right now is what I'm learning. Self-care is of the utmost importance. Like understanding your the way you tick, accepting who you are, not trying to please other people or perform to satisfy other people's expectations, saying no when you need to say no to something, Mm -hmm. when you know that it's too much, making sure that you get proper sleep. Because let me interrupt Mm -hmm. there for a second. Because the need within the context of dementia, like Mm -hmm. with the person that's being affected by it, the need is so blind to other people's needs, right? Like it has the ability just to be the most selfish state. It becomes... And it's not the person's wrongdoing. It's a black hole. It's completely out of control. So then if you're around that... And Everybody you don't gets sucked have in. the barriers up. You can get sucked in, and before long, you, you know there's nothing of yourself left. Is that that's, that's accurate, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, but that's true of everything in life, right? That that is true. Like especially for someone with personality like mine, where you you tend to I want to be liked, and I want to do a good job for people, and I want I want to feel I feel fulfillment, and I feel significant when I feel like I've done a good job, and somebody's a little bit better today, or their financial situation is a little bit better because of an investment that I helped them with, or you know, they got really well taken care of as we sold their home or whatever. No matter where you go, if you're not able to be fundamentally strong in who you are and authentic in yourself, take care of yourself, then you can easily get swayed. You lose your ability to be objective and then you get pulled into other people's shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to be there to serve and honor my parents through this journey that they're on, not at the cost of my own sanity, not at the cost of my family. And but I'm also not willing to just, I guess one way I could do it is be like, well, you know, hands off, like you deal with it and I'm busy with my own shit. I don't, I, I don't want to be that person either. I want to be able to be engaged, develop that relationship, support them, love them, honor them as they go through this trialing time or trying time. Mm. I'll switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Something that's been said about you is that Kurt is one of the most playful fathers ever. And what I observe in you with your kids uh, is absolutely true. It, you know, I, I agree with that statement. Where does that come from? Your desire to be engaged with your children uh, when given an opportunity? I think it comes from a couple of places. One, I just actually really love them and I just love playing with them. Like, I, I love, I, it gives me 
joy to see them laugh. Like Nora is four and five times a day right now, she says, daddy, wrestle, let's wrestle. Like as soon as I get in the door at the end of the day, she's like, wrestle. First thing she said to me this morning when she came down the stairs, daddy, let's go wrestle. Like it gives her joy and that makes me happy. That fills my tank. The other part is I have a hard time even saying no to her. Like she's so <laughs> okay. So I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate in this conversation. Give her because I see you Satan. I, <laughs> I'm a dad. I got three kids mm-hmm. and I'm not devil's advocate. That's the wrong way to structure the, the statement. But what I observe in you with your children, mm. I have to work so hard to manufacture in my own relationship. And mm. let's just set the record clear on something. I love the shit out of my kids. Of course. Yep. I think the world rises and falls on the shoulders of my yep. son when he's playing soccer or my eldest daughter when she's leading a musical or my youngest daughter when she's just kicking ass in gymnastics. Like, yep. I mean, I think they're unbelievable. But yep. when I walk through the doors of the house yep. and I compare that to when you walk through the doors of the house, yep. I go, man, shit. Like, I don't have that natural instinct to wrestle. My natural instinct is I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm mm-hmm. worn out. Shit, kid, give me space. Like, yep. fuck, I can't, you know, I just can't. I'm, yep. I'm done. Yep. And so I wonder, like, so is that thing that you have that I, by the way, fucking admire the mm-hmm. shit out of, mm-hmm. is that, again, are we talking nature nurture? Is this a DNA thing? Is mm-hmm. this a thing that you've worked towards? What's your, what's your take on that? I think it's the nature nurture question is complicated, and I think it's both. Like, I think that at some level, that's just who I am. Like, I remember being 12 and playing we went to church as a kid and i remember like playing with other younger kids and just making them laugh chasing them playing tag with them picking them up and running with them like i remember them like just howling with laughter and feeling like excited and joy filled and part of it was that i remember how much it meant to the parents at that time that i was engaged with their kids and how much mm. fun their kids had and how much their those kids looked up to me and how much fun we had together like i that that part just is. That's just a part of who I am. I remember that. Yeah. I get home at the end of the day and I'm tired too. And as cute as my kids are, sometimes chasing, I get home and Nora Bell says, dad, chase me. Like, <laughs> Cohen and Tylen will come and jump on me for hugs. Per- pursue me, man. Uh-huh, pursue totally. me. So Nora will like come close and give me like a little bit of a little stare, a little smirk, hide behind the pillar and then run away. And so sometimes chasing her isn't what I feel like doing, but when she gets laughing, like I get home and I'm exhausted and I don't feel like chasing her, but she starts laughing. I, I just kind of fall into it. I just give in. And I, I think at some level, I just like turn my brain off of what I actually want to do in that moment and just be who she wants me to be. Because I know that I've been away from her all day and I might only have an hour or two hours or three hours with her before she goes to bed. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of like gear down, find another gear and give them what I have left and try and make it the best of what I've given all day. Mm-hmm. Even if it's for five minutes or 10 minutes, because usually I can play with them for 20 minutes tops, five minutes, 10 minutes. And they're like, they're good. Their tanks are full. They're ready to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, at some level, it's like it's inside of me, but another part of it is it's a choice. Me you're making ma- an intentional making choice, choice totally. that I want to give. I don't want to give them the what's left of me. I want to give them the best of me. Yeah. And your window is only so big. That's it. With them. They're so young. Yeah. Your stage yeah. is a little bit different too, like where your kids are at. Like they may, yeah. Teenagers are different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're different. Preteens right. are different. Mm-hmm. Di- Let's just let that resonate throughout mm-hmm. the podcast. Mm-hmm. Teenagers are different. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your go to space right now for 
um, refueling and giving yourself what you need in order to keep going? What's the what's the thing or the space or the habit or whatever yep. that you go to 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 fill yourself up? One of them is we have two dogs right now, which is a whole another conversation. But we have two dogs, <laughs> and um, taking, I want to talk about that. Why <laughs> do you have two dogs? Do you want me to get divorced? Yeah. Maybe we should bring Michelle in the conversation. <laughs> uh, we, uh, one, so one of the places is just getting out on the trails with the dogs because we live up in Sandy Hill, East Abbotsford, and we have great trails that I can get on in just within a five-minute walk. And so just getting away from everything and either listening to a podcast or listening to quiet music or listening to my heart, listening to just whatever, just being out there. So that, that's, that's constantly uh, something that fuels me. Uh, podcasts are a huge part of my life. Driving, I spend a lot of time either on the phone or driving. And so that helps me stay on track and keep focused with the direction that I want my life to go and what I want to get out of this mm. experience. And what's a, what's a uh, current conversation that you're having in your head right now from something that you're listening to or you learned? What, do you, what is Kurt telling himself right now in this moment? I've been listening to a guy named Alan Watts. <laughs> And there's some fascinating stuff that he has to say, but one of the most recent things that I've listened to probably a half dozen times in the last month is talking about, okay, so let me back up. I'm business planning, goal setting for 2020. Mm -hmm. And I look back on some of the intentions and plan that I put in place, some of the goals that I had in preparing for 2020. I look back on what I did, what I had set aside for 2019 and one of the things that I said to myself going into 20, 2019 was that when I wrote it down was that the struggle and the obstacles were going to make me better, that I was going to become better as a result of those things. And then I've, so that was what I said at the beginning. I started doing this business planning like end of October, which is the earliest I've ever started before. Then in early November, I started listening to the song called Hell of a Year by a country artist. I just heard him like, you know, he's an up and coming guy and singing this song, which is it's a good listen. And I don't necessarily, his circumstances of what he's saying that song about don't necessarily apply to me, but application is in recognizing that it's been a hell of a year. Sure. And so yeah. my, my dialogue for a lot of this year was just that it's been a hell for not a lot of this year for a lot of November, as I'm business planning stuff was like, it's been a hell of a year. You know, mm. kind of feel sorry for yourself. It's been a hell of a year Been a hell of a year. Fast forward to Alan Watts, the last two weeks, listen to this one six minute one six minute segment a number of times and it's basically talking about dream and how if you it's a thought exercise and if you think about it if you could go to sleep at night and dream absolute pure bliss and you could do that you dreamed in one night you dreamed 75 years like a full life 75 years of nothing but bliss no hardship, no heartache, talking like beaches in Hawaii, like mountaintop moments your whole life, 75 years of bliss. His suggestion is you could probably only dream that dream with absolute pure bliss for like four or five times of 75 years. Like that's a lot. That's like 300 years of experience over four nights, hmm. pure bliss. Then the next night you might say, well, that was really cool, but like, I wonder what would happen if I wasn't in full control. And some things happened that were a little bit out of my control. And maybe they were good and maybe they were bad, but I didn't really have full control. And so as you did that for maybe 70, you know, another dream, another dream, another dream like that, and you get to the place, and his suggestion is at some point you would get to the place where you are right now mm -hmm. in recognizing that you, you actually don't have control 
But this is where you would want to be if you had the ability to just live pure bliss all the time. Mm. And so I've often, being in sales, talked and thought, talked with Michelle and thought through myself, like this idea of like mountaintop moments, valley moments, yeah, mountaintop moments, valley moments. And when you're in the valley, you come out of it on the other side and you think, okay, don't really want to spend too much time in the valley, but there's lessons that I've learned here and it's going to help me appreciate the mountaintop that much more. And so this idea of coming to like where I am right now, some way, somehow, if I had full control, I would probably choose to be here. Totally. If I could live in pure bliss, like some of some of the challenges, yeah. some of the obstacles, my child didn't sleep last night, you know, my physical body's aching and I'm in, I'm in pain. My business isn't where I want it to be. I'm not doing some of the things. You could focus on those things that you don't have, Mm -hmm. or you could recognize that you should appreciate them because those are things that you would actually choose if you had pure bliss all the time or this, because you could only do pure bliss for so much. So appreciate where you are, get what you can from where you are and keep moving forward. Well, bliss, so by definition, bliss can only be considered bliss in relation or comparison to something that is not bliss. Right. If that's all you, now we're getting deep. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're probably not equi- equipped to have this conversation, but let's go for it. Yeah. You, can, you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you we, we think in comparison. So, so th- that makes a lot of sense to me. Death and life. Yeah. You're alive totally. and you appreciate being alive yeah. because you're aware of the absence or like the opposite of yeah. being this, being alive. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's what I've been fixated on or been thinking about a lot lately I like the it. last little while is just as I'm preparing now for this next year and making sure that I I, wrote, I kind of like screwed myself over in the sense that like I, I set myself up I wrote it down that I was going to be the obstacles were going to make me better and as a result I feel like I had a handful of obstacles and in relation to a lot of people that go through a lot harder stuff than me this is you know this is minor but this is my journey this is my process and so there's been 2019 had quite of quite an unraveling for me in a lot of senses and those the unraveling has made me more authentic i uh, just help me have a large desire to be more authentic and identify more clearly who i am and what i want and then just be that more often let go of some of this stress and anguish that i create from trying to be something that i'm not or be something to please somebody and it sounds like one of the takeaways from what you're experiencing, this conversation you're having in your head, is that you have a higher level of contentment about the space you're in. 100%. And it's funny because contentment in some circles or in some contexts, people say contentment, shit, don't be mm-hmm. content, you know, yep. strive, 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 strive. Yep. But I think that's actually false messaging mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that contentment is bringing you something that you didn't have before. I think it's it's that this idea of like contentment and striving. It's a pendulum again. Like I like I feel like in so many areas of my life, I've seen these pendulums where you can go one way or the other. And contentment is different than settling. Mm-hmm. And striving can actually burn you out. Like striving can actually, if you're, if okay, so I'm a doer. Like I do. Like I fill my time with doing things. And to this point, I'm I I am where I am as a result of my getting shit done. Like I. I, I commit, I focus, I get after it and I make it happen. But I've also learned the double edge of that mm-hmm. this year, that yeah. trying to do all the time and not taking time to appreciate and be in the moment and get from the moment and be content and express gratitude for where I am will burn me out. Mm-hmm. So I, I read a book earlier this year and I can't think of the title of it right now, but it talked about the idea that there's different kinds of people 
And so there are people that are content or settlers. They'll just stay at the base of a mountain and they'll set up camp and they will get all the amenities and they are super happy just to be there. Sure. Maybe this is like the average person. Average, not in the sense that one's better than the other, just that things are different. Yep. So Got you're it. you're at base camp and you're happy to be there. Yep. And then there's another group of people that will like climb a little bit above base camp and they'll set up camp and then that's their home. They are happy to be there. And then there's another group of people that are climbing their whole life and they spend their whole life trying to get to the top of Everest. And so they've climbed past base camp. They've climbed past the next level past base camp. And now they are like perpetually climbing. And it's a matter of figuring out some kind of balance and figuring out what's right for you. And for me, this is, it's for me, it's about figuring out what's right for me. Like I, I default to being a climber who's constantly striving and trying to make things better for me and better for those around me. But I've also learned that climbing all the time without rest and without like appreciation and gratitude and and being content with what I have and who I am creates turmoil and tension that I living with tension all the time is not, not effective way to live. Like we actually only have this minute right now. Like mm-hmm. this is all we have. Mm-hmm. And so if this is the moment that we have being here is what's important. That's a great metaphor that, that mountain mm-hmm. climbing metaphor resonates. Uh, let me, I'll share a, an anecdotal thought from my own life using that metaphor. I would suggest that to your point earlier, one is not better than the other. Whether you're the settler, the person who has a tendency to go halfway, three quarters of the way or all the way, life has got all types. And we all fit in somewhere mm. in, that, in that spectrum. I think in the current context of our world, there's certain people that get worshipped mm-hmm. more than others, yep. right? They fill the spectrum of our social media mediums and outlets. They get presented a particular way in Hollywood or on the news or whatever. And unfortunately we are oftentimes comparing ourselves to these people on a global level. No longer just comparing ourselves to our own tribe and our own backyards and our own you know, cities, but we're now comparing ourselves to people who live halfway across the world. Yeah. And this particular type is held up as if it's something to be pursued or chased yeah. or admired or mimicked. Yeah. And my own personal anecdote or moral to the story as a person who has a tendency to be a climber, is that the best thing I can do is find rest and peace at base camp Mm -hmm. and learn to live in somebody else's space and see the beauty in somebody else's space and be content or be happy or find joy in something that you otherwise wouldn't naturally find joy in. And if you can force yourself to do that, number one, you you learn how that you don't even have to force yourself. It becomes more natural. Yep. And then you can find peace and beauty and, and contentment in things that you, you otherwise maybe wouldn't have naturally found. I think what you just said, like I resonate with that as well in the sense that as a, as a climber, as, I, as a default climber, I feel like I, part of the burden that I carry is that I feel like if I'm going, then I should be bringing people with me and everybody mm-hmm. else should want this too. But yep. that's not truth of it. And so when you can actually recognize that some people are in different places, and not try to make them what you think you should be or what you want what you think they want to be. Just let them be who they are. Mm-hmm. That's talking before about picking other people's rocks up and putting them in my backpack. But that's part of my this year, just like letting go. Like it's not my job to determine if somebody else is a climber or a settler. If they're content, if they're happy to be a settler, then I need to find I need to like be intentional about just calming myself down, matching where they are and appreciating the beauty that they see. Mm-hmm. And and just be present and at that level. That's good. 
Wow, we might have just blown up people's minds with that. I don't know. I mean, was that if that was half as deep as I think it was, then then we're incredible. <laughs> well, it's all regurgitated. It's all re- it's I, not new information. This is just like me trying us trying to process Oh, absolutely. Other people's stories. There's nothing new under the sun. No. Yeah, we do we we No this, credit can be taken. This no. is just where we are right yeah, now. Absolutely. Okay, let's play a game. Mm-hmm. Two fun games I want to mm-hmm. play. I play these games all the time in my head, and now I just love that I have a microphone and I get to play these games with people. (laughs) To me, this is like my favorite part. If you aren't who you are today, Mm -hmm. you're not a dad, you don't have three kids, you're not a realtor, you know, you're tied to nothing. Mm -hmm. What are you? Where are you living? What are you amazing at? What's the best kept, kept secret about you? What do you wish you could have done had you not just by default landed in the circumstances you're in? Oof. I scare myself sometimes thinking about where I would be if I didn't have Michelle. If I didn't have someone to regulate me as like a default climber, achiever, like what would I, who would I become? Mm. What would my life actually look like? Would I be actually happy with who I am as a result of just left to my own vices? And we're talking like, I know that I could produce a big income. That's not something that I would be concerned about. I could go and make a bunch of money, but then without having something to ground me, a family, a wife, priorities, I feel like there's a side of me that would just go off the deep end and live a huge life and make a bunch of money and do silly things that I would wake up alone one day and not have connections or relationships. So I was trying to take this conversation in a fun direction. Uh-huh. And you and I, just, I know, I and, know. And I just, you just made every female listening swoon over you. Because, <laughs> and by the way, this is exactly why I had you on the show. Because this is actually the human that you are. I have a really hard time with not taking something to that level. I I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time. I'm not good at small talk, actually. <laughs> Quotable quote by Kurt Jackson. I have a hard time not being amazing. <laughs> Those are your words. Those are your words. What? Yeah, yeah. And that's. I just. I don't. I wouldn't spend time. I haven't spent time thinking about what I. What I would do. I know. That's okay. I have a different game. Okay. Let's One play that it. you can't avoid. Okay. And deal. and twist up on me with your with mm-hmm. your tricks. Mm-hmm. This is something we've actually talked about before a little bit, so it's not totally new to you. But we've never gone into in 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 depth with it it'll be fun to go in depth so were you a walking dead guy did you watch zombies? no no but you're familiar i'm, I'm aware of it yeah you're familiar with yep. it yeah so, I mean, there's a ton of movies about that kind of thing so yeah so i binge like when walking dead came out actually i was late to the game as i am with a number of things but um walking dead comes out the world goes crazy over it. people are telling me about it and i kind of think it's like stupid i'm like zombies not real whatever and then i start watching it and my god did my brain blow up seeing how they had managed to take, you know, real world and combine it with something that maybe is far-fetched, but then if you allow your brain to go, maybe not mm-hmm. that far-fetched and kind of awesome. And then the thing that I love so much about the show and other shows that have explored similar topics is what happens to the human dynamic mm-hmm. when all order is removed all structure and systems that we adhere to are taken away and what happens in human beings and tribes are formed and alliances are created and we're starting from complete scratch. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I love playing this out in my mind and going, who would be my tribe? Mm -hmm. What would I do? What kind of character would I be? Could I be this cold-blooded killer who doesn't feel anything? Or would I be the, the person who gets killed because I've been unable to detach from my humanity and my compassion got me killed. Yep. 
So I want to play this game with you. Okay. How does that play? How do you think, so the person you are today, how do you think you transition into that world? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What's your go-to? How do you form a tribe? Let's, let's dig into it. So I haven't seen that show, but something that like one movie, for instance, that, that I feel like I can identify with is I am legend. That's the Will Smith one. And so it's totally, so totally applicable okay like completely yeah completely and yeah by the way that movie is unreal uh, it's amazing i actually yeah. want to watch it again now that yeah. i said it but absolutely it um i feel like i have this complex mm. like like i would be i feel like i would rock i've always told myself the narrative in my head is that i would rise up and be that guy i would be a will legend. smith i would be, be will smith the, i would yeah, be a legend sure. i i would i yeah. would like i would be the one to make tough decisions and i would be the one to be physically capable of killing some things and doing yeah. what needed to be done. And a, a large part of like me taking care of myself is like, I want to be prepared that if shit goes sideways, mm -hmm. my world doesn't blow up and people that I care about have a chance. These are real life conversations in the mind of a male, right? By the way, right. like number one, <laughs> superheroes aren't fake. They're options. Yeah, that's These right. are things <laughs> that we can actually be. And if the zombies come, our We're shit's, gonna be ready. Our shit's gotta We're be, gonna ready. be ready. So continue. Okay, I just so want everyone to hear I, that like this is actually a real thing in our brains. Yeah, I and I I actually have like a plan. Like my next house is going to be a house <laughs> oh, I fucking love this. Where I'm ready for things to go sideways. And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm gonna have a stock of food, but I wanna be able to live off the grid. I wanna I want to be able to have solar panels and I want to be able to live on septic and well water and mm -hmm. whatever, be able to be a, a center, a place where I can survive if things go sideways <laughs> you and want take to care of my family and have people <laughs> be able to come to me. Right. And then we figure shit out from there. So we have a place up country too. And I've thought often about having, okay, so we have our house that we live off the grid and we have some enough food and garden and we can kind of survive. Mm -hmm. Hunting is a component. So I have a few things on my radar. One, martial arts is part of this plan for me. Absolutely. Because I need to be able to like kick some ass. Yeah. I feel like I'm athletic and physically capable. I could do okay. But if I ever came across well, a zombie or maybe that was like didn't feel pain or someone who was actually really well trained in martial arts, I would get my ass kicked. But I want to be better to be able to hold my own. So martial arts. Hunting is another part. Like I, I just want to be able to do it and like and like survival skills. That's it. Like, that's it. That's yeah. just it's just pure basic. I don't like totally. the sport of hunting doesn't appeal to me. Maybe if I got into it, it would. But just the idea of being able to like my family needs to eat. I need to put food on the table. I want to be the, able to have some set of skills that I can do that without mm -hmm. losing a child because it took me too long to learn how to hunt an animal. Yeah. So I actually have this whole plan in place. And not like written down or anything. So maybe it won't come real, but it's in the back of my mind that I want to be physically prepared and I want to be able to have a house, a space, property where people can come to. And then we have a place up country too where if shit got real sideways in the lower mainland, we can get out of here. I love it. And the totally tribe, you asked about a tribe. Yeah, who would be? So you want to know names? Well, no, 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 no. You don't have to say names. I don't want to. I don't. Have, I feel don't like more names. than names. I have like ideas of like yeah personality types. Personality so types. So what are the personality types that you would have to surround yeah. yourself with? Yeah. That's a great way to say it. So personality types, and I also feel like there's roles that need to be played. So there's like yes, a fundamental totally. role of like caring for humans that get hurt. So yeah. like a doctor, uh, scientist, something like that. Someone that can actually physically. And my wife is a nurse, so she could play a part of that. But I also mm -hmm. have friends that are doctors, and I think. They would be really valuable assets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, having someone that's 
And you can't be married to an asset. See, that's the challenge. Right. If your spouse is, huh. is, I mean, you know, this is life or death shit we're talking about yeah. here. Sometimes, you know, decisions got to be made about who's got to go and who can't go. Right. I think I think it complicates things mm-hmm. if one of them one one of the assets. I'm just hey, I'm the only social re- dynamics that you've played out in your mind. Fascinating, <laughs> you fascinate I'm, me. I'm only repl- relaying what I've seen. Okay, or uh-huh. some of this stuff has played out in my head. But yeah, that could get complicated yeah. when like all of a sudden you know your wife is an asset to the group you're in, and then you know your judgment gets gray because you know you've got something for this person that you don't have for the other person. Yep. Anyways, continue. Yep. yep. So there's that whole like taking care of humans dynamic. There's obviously feeding the humans as a dynamic. There's like defending the humans as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. one of the key pieces. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I have like a handful of people in my life. I'm actually really fortunate to have some amazing people in my life, a lot of amazing people in my life. And so there's lots of different people that could play in, but it's hard to say like who you'd want to actually be there because it depends on where an event happens and, how people scatter and who's actually around and available and communication. And I mean, you can just spend all the time thinking mm, about it. But yeah. Interesting times. I, I feel like I would, uh, like most guys, I think rise to the challenge. That's that's in my head. That's my narrative. Like I would be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Within the, within the male ego, we all have the ability to create this story in our brains where we are Will Smith. Totally. Even though we may look nothing like Will Smith, <laughs> talk like nothing like Will Smith. But that's that's where our, our brain goes. For sure. Well, as you can tell, I've spent, you know, a fraction amount of time thinking about this. Just a little bit. Yeah. And I take it to a space where I look in my in my context of friends and peers and I go, like, who would be like if I had to make a team on the fly, shit goes sideways, the zombies have come, you know, what would I do and who would I go to? And you would absolutely be <laughs> Thanks, man. On my on my team. And uh and one of the, you know, one of the reasons why I, I would find incredible that, well, there's, there's a number of reasons I find incredible value in you, you know, your athletic ability, your, I mean, that's all, that'd be an incredible asset in that circumstance. But one of the things that I fear in myself in times of extreme conflict, um, where moral order is lost or, or our structure is lost is that, you know, you, you referenced, you, you made a statement like, you know, I think you said something like, I can get afraid of this in my head. I can get afraid of myself in my head in a context like that where I think a, a switch could flip mm. and I could get pretty cold and pretty dark pretty quick. And so I have an awareness of that. And so in my brain, I go, I'd have to be with Kurt. <laughs> Kurt would keep me level. <laughs> Kurt loves mankind. Kurt is compassionate. Kurt is caring. Kurt's also an athlete and he could kick ass. So you're, you would be like the perfect call. You'd be the yin to my yang. You'd keep me levels. Like, you know, I could murder a little bit, but you got to like, you know, scale me back a little bit. Go, oh, don't, don't, don't kill that much. Just, just kill a little bit. Not the women and children, Andrew. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the women and children. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a crazy conversation, but yeah. I, you're, uh, you're in my zombie tribe. Let's, let's put it that way. But okay. So did give me a little bit of lead up on that conversation. But I think that there's also like an element of that line of thinking that plays into like who you show up as every day because it's like a bit of like extreme situation for me anyways. I think about like a lot of who I am on a day-to-day basis is like a piece of that kind of coming through mm. who I think I would be. Yeah, interesting. Hey, I want to um, wrap up with a couple things. Mm. Number one, the world has now heard you. They've been exposed to Kurt Dirksen if they haven't been already. Dun-dun. And uh, they're probably blown away as impressed as I am in the time that I've had getting to know you. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out and find you, 
how do we uh, how do we connect with Kurt Dirksen? Yeah. So I have a website, just KurtDirksen.com. I'm also on social media, though I only dabble at this point. You may or may not see more of me going forward, but I'm on Instagram at Kurt A. Dirksen, and I am on Facebook as well. Okay, sweet. One of the coolest things about this podcast, or what I think is one of the coolest things, is you know we dig into the world, find what we consider to be everyday amazing people, and we do what we did today. We get them to share their stories. We bring to light their amazingness and hopefully people are inspired and learn from what we're doing. But what I want to do now is I want to give you the platform for a few moments and I want you to be given an opportunity to tell our listeners about somebody that you're aware of in your life who is everyday amazing and needs to be talked about. So take it away. This was hard. I knew this question was coming. So I spent some time thinking about it and a hard time picking one. You said you didn't want family, so that takes off a number of people. <laughs> Thank you. Now your family's going to hate me. <laughs> and uh, But I'm kind of cheating on that a little bit because the person that I decided that was not in the first ring of family, kind of in the next ring of family, is uh, Mike Davis. And so Mike Davis is a business owner in Chilliwack, mm. and he is married to my cousin, and he has got to be one of the biggest-hearted humans that I know. Wow. And he's done some ridiculous things in his emotion that um, I've been there right beside him to help him through. But the biggest thing that comes from Mike is just his love for people. And if you are a part of his tribe, he will literally go to the ends of the earth wow. to prevent bad things from happening to you or from you, protect you. There was a period in my life where Michelle and I were broken up and Michelle was going to the clubs with uh, Lindsay, my cousin, and they were doing all the things that young, beautiful women do. <laughs> and Mike was kind of like the big brother that was taken out, taking care of her. Mm. And that was always assuring to me. And there was a time where Michelle got hurt. I was in university, first year or two in university, in school full-time, not working at that point. Michelle was working at the hospital and she got injured at work, was laid up on the floor for months. And our we were renting at that point and our fridge was empty. We were living on like lentils and rice and beans, like just whatever we could to get through. And Mike and Lindsay went and filled our freezer with food. Like, wow. he's just that kind of guy that he goes above and beyond. And that's how he treats everybody. Uh, he, he owns this tire shop in Chilliwack, the partner there. And what's he, the name of the tire shop? Ken's Tire and Wheel. Ken's Tire and Wheel in Chilliwack. And okay. the way he treats every client the way that he treats all of his employees. It's it's like that. It's from a place of like caring for humans. He's got his own journey with, you know, dealing with challenges with his family. And we all have challenges, but he just continues to deliver for other humans. I just got a lot of respect for him. Mike Davis, Davis. at Ken's Tire Shop. Yep. In, uh, in if you're looking for tires, go to Ken's Tire Shop in Chilliwack. Well, there you go. You want to deal with an awesome human, that's where you go. That's right. And we're going to, uh, one of the things that we're going to do on the show is we're going to reach out to people like, like Mike and and tell them they're amazing because Kurt thinks we're amazing and congratulate them for amazing for being awesome to uh, to humanity. So he, we're gonna he, he deserves the appreciation. So I'm glad that he'll get it. That's cool. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. It's fun hanging out in the living room, drinking bourbon. Yep, round two felt felt natural. Yeah, when we when we when we press stop here, we'll probably have another <laughs> glass. But uh, you know, um, this has been awesome, and I really appreciate you uh, you chatting with me and letting the world inside your brain and um can't wait to do it again another time yeah feel honored to have been here so thanks for asking okay fun thanks buddy you are welcome kurt dirksen is an absolute gem and i am so glad that i could share him with you today he has one of the most beautiful bodies that a guy could have you're welcome for that 
We talked about zombies. You're welcome for that. And our plans, should they happen to come. And a multitude of other fascinating topics that I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So, Kurt, thanks for sharing your time with us. We sincerely appreciate it. Please remember to check out the show notes for more information about today's episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe so you can listen to and learn from Everyday Amazing.